Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is actor, writer, and director Noel Clark, whom you've seen on the telly in Alf Peterson Pet, Chasing Shadows, and probably most likely as Rose Tyler's boyfriend Mickey on Doctor Who. He's also been building an impressive film career in movies like Heartless, Centurion, and Star Trek Into Darkness, and as the writer, co-star, and subsequently director of the Kidulthood series, the latest installment of which, Brotherhood, brought Noel to TIFF earlier this month. Noel picked Pulp Fiction, and if I have to explain that movie to you, well, we're going to have a problem. Quentin Tarantino's 1994 follow-up to his breakout debut, Reservoir Dogs, was everything we wanted it to be. A complex, layered, chronologically playful, absolutely exhilarating deconstruction of genre with vivid characters and dialogue that's just a pleasure to hear. It's the movie that reminded us John Travolta could be cool, the movie that gave us the perfect expressions of Samuel L. Jackson and Ving Rhames, the movie that started the absolutely electrifying screen partnership of Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman, and also Bruce Willis is in it. But you know all that, right? Of course you do. This is someone else's movie. Um, why did I pick Pulp Fiction? Um, because it was... I think I was 17 at the time, maybe 18, and it just Pulp Fiction spoke to me in a way that other films hadn't spoken to me before. I was in media class in uh, high school, I guess it's called here, because it wasn't university, so it wasn't college, mm. and the teacher was um, bringing films in, and he said, oh, you guys need to watch this film. We were supposed to be studying, like, I don't know, Shakespeare and Love or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, and, and Kevin Smith films had always been my favourite. You know, Clerks and More Rats and sure. Chasing Amy and stuff. Because they were, you know, talking how people spoke. Um, and then the media teacher was like, you guys need to watch this Pulp Fiction. I'm like, Pulp Fiction? What is this? Who's this guy? And I, I don't remember seeing Reservoir Dogs. I think because I was so young, when it had come out, like 15, it kind of just had passed me by. And so, you know, we went and got the video, still VHS, Sure. you know, Pulp Fiction, put it in, watched it, and it just blew my mind. It was a film told out of sequence, and up until that point, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could do what you wanted to do. I thought films were like, you start at the beginning, you get to the middle, oh, there's a problem, they solve the problem, and at the end. I probably wasn't even that up on the intelligence and the, the construction of movies. But, I mean, it obviously has those beats, but, you know, and I'd love to see it in chronological order one day. I don't think I've ever done that. Um, but watching that film told out of order just really blew my mind. And at that point, I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. If you can do that, I didn't know you could do yeah. my mind. Not, so I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. And People- I remember my teacher said, and I still speak to this media teacher, I still speak to him to this day. I said, sir, I didn't know you could do that. And he said thing about film so you can do what you want and I'm just even now I say it like I get like a chill in my neck because I just was like what and that's the thing that really made me go I'm going to make films too it is hard to explain to people now that you know like oh 1994 is not that long ago but no. structure was in American film I mean maybe sometimes you had a science fiction movie that ended where it began yeah. or yeah. you'd have a you'd, Pinter's Betrayal which is told backwards yeah. yes but the conceit defines the thing and yeah. in Pulp Fiction it really is so off the cuff about it off the cuff man just absolutely 
yeah, here, this movie's not going to make sense right away. Just, you know, just sit with enjoy it. it. And I did a film like that a few years later, which, uh, 4321. Right, title I couldn't remember. Yeah, with a, you know, director Emma Roberts, and, you know, that film, Pulp Fiction and Go, the Doug Lyman film Go, mm-hmm. were films that really inspired me to do 4321, you know, because I just loved it. I loved it. It's like, man, you got to sit with this movie. You have to watch it from beginning to end and then go, I get it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's again it, now that so much of what he did is mainstream. Yeah, it's harder to. It's funny. I was explaining this to somebody. I was defending my own opinion to somebody. It's harder to explain why Tarantino was so important in '94. Mm-hmm. Now that he is, everybody's ripping him off, and he's not really operating at the same level that he he's used to. He's not doing what he used to do. I mean, his dialogue can still be great, if not a little bit overwritten, you know. And that's, you know, that, if he gave me that dialogue, I would be damn sure taking it. Like, it's not a criticism. I love that. I love him as a filmmaker, yeah. and would love the opportunity to work with him. But, you know, his early stuff is just unbelievable yeah like it's just genius yeah I I saw Reservoir Dogs and this is not an exaggeration five times the first day I saw it wow because I got a tape of it at TIFF in fact at the before it was even TIFF it was the wow. Festival of Festivals in 1992 and the studio that was distributing 92 by the way was yeah. the best year for the festival yeah. we had that we had The Crying Game we had Bad Lieutenant uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. Um, Candyman was, was here Clerks in 92 Clerks was 93 Three. It was the following year. It was at Sundance first, so we missed it. But the studio that had Reservoir Dogs also had Strictly Ballroom. Yeah. And back then, press coverage was small enough that they were chasing anybody who would pay attention who was in town. And I was writing for the Toronto Star, and they gave me... The, the distributor, CFP, yeah. I think it was called then, just gave me these two tapes, Strictly yeah. Ballroom, and check this yeah. out. Watch these, the directors are in town yeah. tomorrow, and wow. come back. And I stayed home and watched Reservoir Dogs over and over. And just like, what the f- yeah. yeah, I'd never seen, yeah. I had never, I had seen films like it because yeah. I was a little familiar with Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. But it hit me like a, a bag of hammers. Yeah. It was just yeah. this incredible infusion. And so when Pulp Fiction came out, <clears throat> I was, 1994, I would have been 26, and I was so excited, and it played Cannes, and we sort of heard the news back then, there was no news, really, it took months to hear about stuff, and then here's the new Quentin Tarantino film, go see it, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I think I was, I was so excited, and then to have it pay off, and be better and more intricate, and the film, it's the film you want the the first timer to make the second time out? Exactly. Exactly that, you know, and uh, I think it was just brilliant. I, st- I would argue still to this day that it's the best one. I'm torn, honestly. Reservoir. I think Reservoir Dogs, yeah, I mean, it's uh, just, yeah. it's structurally, it's perfect, yeah. and it's got no fat on it. Yeah. None. Yeah. And Pulp Fiction, I do love it, but I like there's stuff on rewatch that are just like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you know what? He's the master of that, and I've, t- I've adopted that as well. He's the master of having scenes in the film that don't move the story forward. That's true. And I love that. Because I think in real life, not everything moves our story forward. Sure. And so I get it. You want you want a tight cut, and you you want to make sure you, you have a number of minutes. But he does, you know, all that Royale with cheat, all that stuff. You could cut that right down, and you could get to the chase where they go into the apartment and deal with those boys. But that texture, yeah, that extra stuff, which I do now in my my films, is just sometimes it's just needed yeah. for levity, for breathing space, for. For just that relatable conversation that you might have with your friends, that yeah. someone goes, "Oh yeah," and this happened, that happened, and it doesn't move the story forward, and someone in the audience just goes, "Remember that was us." Yeah. <laughs> you know those moments. Yeah, you know people, I love. Yeah, people don't realize. And again, I'm going to say this a lot for this movie because I'm old and cranky. Yeah. But people, kids today, 
they don't understand that in 1994, the idea of a movie where gangsters had inner lives and digressive conversations yeah. rather than being the, the hoods who show up at the beginning and the end. It was groundbreaking. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's more the butch stuff that I could go, I could do without, which is weird because yeah. I love Willis in the role, but yeah. the whole I'm an American, our names don't mean shit. It's yeah. a long way to go for a punchline. Yeah. And it still works, yeah. but it kind of also shows you where he's going to end up as, yeah. as Tarantino as a screenwriter, where yes. we're going to talk about stuff for half an hour and maybe it'll have some germane connection yeah. to, yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. You look at that written. But yeah. I still... Pulp Fiction, I'll still love it yeah. because I it, because it is comfort food now. It is. It's, I wish you would make another one. Yeah. Do you? Did you? Were you one of the people who wanted the Vega Brothers movie? Because I remember there was no, talk about that. I wasn't one of the people that wanted the Vega Brothers movie, but as I've got older, and you know, especially as I've done this, and I just like, man, I would love him to just go. All right, what's Jules Winifred and everyone doing now? I'd yeah. love to see a new one. Is Jules got a son? Is Jules walking the earth? <laughs> Probably because I want to play the son. <laughs> <laughs> And that's probably my agenda with it all. I could see that. Because I would absolutely love to be in a Tarantino movie. And again, I think my the fact that I find that one the most grounded and the one I like the most makes me kind of subconsciously go, Pulp Fiction 2, me as the sun, Afro wig, love it. We'll, just, we'll put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it would be present day, presumably. So yeah. you could do almost like, I, yeah. you know, the, only, the closest he's come to a present day movie, I guess, is Death Proof. Yeah. Which takes place in our, like, Kill Bill's contemporary yeah. But all of his films, they harken yeah. back, you know, yeah. they pull to different eras. Pulp Fiction yeah. feels yeah. like it came out in the 70s yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, it does feel like that. But I guess it was it was contemporary at the time of 93 or whatever it sure, was. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, Death Proof. Yeah. It does have that amazing... I, I, In fact, I just tweeted about this so people will know, people know more or less when we're recording this, but uh, it was on cable. Um, there's a There are a number of cable stations in Toronto, at least, that just repeat... Yeah. So it was on, Pulp Fiction was on from 9 to midnight and then midnight to 3. Fantastic. And I caught, my, my wife and I had finished watching something else and it came on. Yeah. And we caught the final sequence, yeah. which picks up with, you know, um, Amanda Plummer. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Wolf, all of that. Like the, okay, end, right, the yeah, ending yeah, scene, yeah. you know, this guy, this guy respects the job. Yeah. So that, the entire final diner sequence with Pumpkin and Honey Bunny yeah. and Jules and, and um, oh my God, Vincent. Vincent. So, Vincent, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm so tired. That's all right, week man, of this yeah. festival. And so we watched the end, and then the beginning came right up again, and yeah. it was amazing. I'd never had that opportunity yeah. to sort of just watch those two segments yeah. and how they're knitted together and how they're different, yeah. and just to revel in the structure, the audacity, to beginning a two-and-a-half-hour movie with this long conversation between yeah. characters we yeah. will not see again yes. amazing. for two-and-a-half hours. Amazing. And he wrote... This was... Like the, this is the quintessential Tarantino thing. He wrote character dialogue in character. He doesn't do that anymore these yeah. days. Like everyone sounds like Quentin. Yes. And in Pulp Fiction, you have four distinct characters who all have their own. Uh, they have their own opinions. They have their own agendas. They yeah. have their own motivations. And they're so just pleasurable to listen. Pleasurable, to. amazing. And I think, I think that's the hunger, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he was young and hungry at the time, and you know, didn't had you know still had bills to pay probably. <laughs> You know what I mean? And there's a there's an element of the the work that goes in and you know, when things change sometimes it's just like I'm just gonna write this script and it doesn't always great concepts like, you know, I love the concept of Inglorious, I love the concept of Hateful Eight and stuff like that, but then sometimes I'm like, Yeah, you know. And I almost wanna go, just reset Quentin man, go do something grounded. Do 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 something grounded. Do like now, contemporary, like you used to do, and just just bring it home, you know? Yeah. It's 
it is such a satisfying film in that you know half the characters end up dead people die yeah. people die terribly yeah. it's violent it's brutal yeah. it's racist it's sexist all of yeah. it but it is so much damn things that my films sometimes get accused of well but the intention is not yeah. I mean as in as in yours the intention, intention is, is not that. exploitative it's no. about kind of well for Tarantino it's absolutely about celebrating the elements of black exploitation culture and yeah. the things he grew up loving yeah and for your films, my sense is that it's simply it's they, a, the characters in them don't think they're being hundred percent racist. hundred yeah. percent, you know. Or you know, when you get a character like Daly, he probably knows he is, but it's like that's how he was raised. He's, you know, if you could see a film about Daly and his family, that's probably how they all are. Mm-hmm. So he's he's raised like that, and you know, you kind of have the elements of you know the things that happen and the things that we see in in the film they happen in real life. You know, and it, the, the real life informs the. You know, it's funny how many there's been quite a few comments of like, oh, there's loads of naked women and there's a brothel. The gangster runs a brothel, and this is ridiculous. It's like, well, there are brothels run by pimps. You know, there's yeah. one in the middle of Soho in London, which is the film, the film district. So, and no police are shutting it down. So, I mean, if how can we complain about it on cinema when, you know. We walk past it every day, yeah. you know. So it's that kind of thing, and I think Quentin's film, well, *Pulp Fiction*, definitely, you know, it highlighted the fact that we do see on the news, oh, three men found dead in an apartment and such and such, and we all go, oh, that's terrible, and we carry on about our day. But you know, we don't think it could be Vincent Vega and Jules Winifield going to look for the suitcase for their boss, and they do. Like it, it happens, you yeah. know. And um, well, I mean, it happens, but God doesn't always get involved. It's, yeah, exactly. It's a much, much yeah. larger story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Happening that people are missing. But I, I guess what I can always go with is the sense that the cinema, that the film, is telling me it knows. Yes. What's going on? Yes. That it's aware. The characters yeah. might not be, but the film, but the movie knows, and yeah. that's. I mean, maybe. And unfortunately, it's Tarantino's own character where he gives himself that entire speech. Yeah, yeah. That's where it gets... Yeah, that's that's the bit you kind of want to forward. But, yeah. like, uh. but that's the bit where I, I find it... It's almost fascinating to try to figure out, does he think it's okay, or is he seizing the opportunity to be the guy who says it? And like, nobody... Yeah. There, was a, there was a live reading, a friend of mine, Chandler Levesque, who's actually done the, the podcast. She, she did an episode about uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, really good one. Um, she does live readings and she does feminist live readings where she'll recast entire male narratives with female actors wow. yeah, and she did Reservoir Dogs and the woman playing Mr. Pink had a little trouble with um, uh, with the, the N-word dropping yeah. and he, I think he's the only character in the film who does it and she was really clearly she went with it but it was not comfortable to the point where yeah. everyone kind of had to comment on it uh, at the beginning and say yeah. we're keeping the dialogue that's how it goes yeah but Tarantino himself sees the opportunity. I think that's where it gets a little pricklier. Yeah, it's just about whether it's just about whether he was. You know, it, it, the one thing I've realized making films is sometimes you just do things, and then people after go, "I know why he did that. He did it because of this." And you're like, "Well, no, I, I that's not really. Why I just did it." Yeah. But you know, it takes on a life of its own. So it is interesting about what you say. Was he seizing the opportunity to be the person that said it, or did he just think it was okay? Right. Did he still want to do a Spike Lee and act? You know, did did he yeah. just want to act and be in the movies? You know, and that, this is the role, and this yeah. was the role. You know, and it's just we'll never know, I guess, because he'll never say it. But yeah, we've talked around it a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Yeah. Oh, He's man. a great interview, but he there's stuff he doesn't want to go into. Yeah, I I think I mean, and again, you know, I probably ruined my chances, but I think it's the former. I think he just wanted to still be in the movies. Mm-hmm. I don't think he thought about it. I think both him and I, 
in these types of films have the same thing. Like Heath Ledger says it best in The Dark Knight. He says, I just do things. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. And I don't feel for a second that Quentin was like, right, I'm going to say this political statement and I'm going to be the man that says in, in the irony of the white man saying these lines. Right. I don't think any of that. I think he was like, okay, I'm not going to play any of the leads. There's this little role. These are the lines. I'll take it. That's it. Didn't think anything of it. It's when it gets exposed to the world and people's like, oh, well, yeah. da, 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 it becomes a thing on its own. And yeah. then he doesn't want to comment. And it's the same thing, you know. People say to me, I had an interview today, someone said, so when you did this and it related to this, this and this, and how do you feel about the way that that's perceived? And I just went, well, I didn't plan that. That wasn't the, I, I just did it. Right. You know? Were they your own films he was talking about? Or yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was my film. I can't remember mm-hmm. the situation, but it was my film. Well, so the instinct, I mean, for myself, speaking as a critic, the instinct is always to connect the dots because yes. even if you're not doing it consciously, then there's something in you that's pulling you towards this yeah. stuff, which I find the most interesting thing yeah. about cinema, about people telling stories, is that you can never get away from who you are yeah. and what you want people to care about. That's right. So I'm always going to do that but in That's other right. cases I, I, uh, I was talking to Jonah Hill just last month about war dogs and, and uh, we came and my line of, of connection was Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street and this people yeah. seem to think that he's the guy who can make exp- uh, exposition entertaining right yeah, uh, because yeah. they're giving him all these huge data all dumps these huge, all yeah, these yeah. numbers and all these factors and figures and he just said oh, I just thought the movies were good like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know but you still took them yeah, so let's talk yeah. about this let's talk about yeah. this yeah it's, that's interesting and he had no awareness of the fact that his characters are the ones that yeah. do all the data dumps and all that he, he claimed he, he was unaware but, interesting. Yeah, he said there were just a bunch of movies he made a couple of years apart, and he didn't really give much thought to it. And it's like, okay, but people thought of you for the parts. Yeah. Well, that's not really how I see it. And I get it. I mean, you can only perceive what yeah. you perceive, right? Like his world, he's probably turning down more scripts a day than he yeah. says yes to or develops. Yeah. So, but that is interesting. But he still picked him, right? Yeah. So there's still, there is a There's something that's right? making him there. There's something that he, he finds within those scripts that makes him want to pick those movies. Yeah. Like with Tarantino, with Pulp Fiction, absolutely. It's a celebration of the movies he loved and yeah. the books that he flipped through and the covers, yeah. I think, more than the books themselves. Yeah. And he's given inner lives to all of these one-dimensional, two-dimensional characters, yeah. hoodlums and harlots and victims, I think is yeah. how people described them at the time in, yeah. the, in, the, in the Pulp Age. But there is so much life. Um, just Eric, Eric Stoltz eating Fruit Brute, uh, the cereal, yeah. which had gone out of um, production, I believe. They actually had to go and find boxes or make them wow. to let him eat them because it made sense in the scene that this guy would still be eating his childhood cereal because yeah. he's not grown up yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rosanna Arquette, who has virtually no dialogue but yeah. is totally lived in. That role is a... Oh, man. Like, I know who that Everything person is. Everything pierced and like, oh, yeah. get out here! And yeah. the glee when the needle comes out. Like, there's yeah. so much... <gasps> right? Yeah. That's who she is. She's like, oh, man. Yeah. I'm fucking trip or whatever she says. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, and Pumpkins, um, Ringo's, whoever you want to call him, yeah. Tim Roth's cell phone joke. The yeah. thing at the beginning, because I hadn't really caught that. Who was the Amanda Plummer. Right. Yeah, yeah. honey. Yeah, so, yeah. He's telling you the story about guy walks into a, a bank holding up a cell phone. Yeah. And then at the very end, when he's collecting the ba- the loot, uh, going through everybody's wallets, he says, is that a cellular phone? Put it in the bag. Yeah. And it's just, I had never seen the ending yeah. before the beginning so closely and realized that that's a two and a half hour setup for that joke. Yeah. Which yeah. only exactly. works if you care, if, if you're paying you yeah. attention. Yeah, great. And he's so good at that. He's so good at yeah. it. So good at it. He was better, though. He was better. 
The Roth better uh, than Plummer? No, no, sorry, Tarantino was better at that. Oh, at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, now we get stuff like, I mean, The Hateful Eight, which is this fascinating yeah. kind of mirror image of Reservoir Dogs, because again, it's yeah, a it, locked yeah. room film yeah. with a prologue and an epilogue and a couple of flashbacks. Yeah. It is the same structure, which kind is kind of, of yeah. fascinating, except yeah. that it's twice as long as it needs to be. Yeah. It's <laughs> shot in 70 millimeter and it's exhausting. And no, all yeah. Yeah, I still enjoyed it because it's Tarantino but yes there's stuff in it it's one of those ones you watch it and you go come on Tarantino come on Quentin come on Quentin <laughs> and at the end you're like okay man okay 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 yeah. next one the next one's gonna yeah. be the next one will be our one but you know? we'll still come back like, 100%, that's the thing 100%. Like, you hate Tarantino so, no I keep going I keep going to his I love, I love Tarantino anything he does I'm watching you know I just I just want to see Pulp Fiction again <laughs> So as far as that goes, how yeah. how often do you? I mean, do you retreat back to it? Do you come back to it like comfort? Food? I mean, I have I have the VHS still. I have probably three DVDs. You know, one mm-hmm. special edition I was given recently after the twenty years or something like that, and, right? Or twenty five years maybe. Uh, twenty five? Uh, no, almost ninety four. So we're coming up on it. So I was given a, probably the twentieth anniversary. The twentieth anniversary special collection DVD with a book and all this kind of stuff. So. But, you know, and any time if it's on, I'm if it's on, I'm flicking it's on, I'm watching it yeah. without fail. You know, and I just I can recite that film probably back to front. <laughs> you know, I just I just love it. I just love it. I loved everything about it, and uh, it's uh, literally you know my my other you know because when they ask me, I'm always ah oh, you know because Go Go is one of my favorites. Right. Amelie French film. Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely love that movie. Uh, Clerks. You know, so that, and Etamama Tembi and those kind of are the five that, you know, it depends on my mood, I'll kind of, but generally pop fiction is, is, is the one, hmm. is the number one. Um, uh, yeah, just uh, whatever, man. I just really, really, really think there was so much in there that just unlocked my mind as a, as a young person, as an actor. Yeah. You know, seeing Samuel L. Jackson there, and, you know, I, I'm not his biggest fan, but seeing Samuel L. Jackson there, in a role that wasn't oh well that's wrong it was a gangster but wasn't a typical gangster that we were used sure, to seeing yeah. at the time you know he wore a suit like our guys were like you got a problem right. like they didn't wear suits it was like whoa this guy has a suit and he's cool right and he recites the bible that's awesome you yeah. know and uh it was just different so seeing someone of color do that was like wow um you know, John Travolta coming back, you know, after doing Look Who's Talking Now. I believe yeah. that was the last thing I saw him in when, when dogs were speaking to him or something like that. Yeah, that was a dark time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Travolta's one of those fascinating cases, too, yeah. because he'll have a renaissance every yeah. six or seven years. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think he's ever going to have another better one yeah. than this. Yeah. Because somehow, and it, it's he's doing it with, with Jackson, too, with the yeah. hair and the mutton chops. Yeah. And he's creating a version of Samuel Jackson that never existed yeah but he's letting him play him again yeah and with Travolta he is playing yeah. the Travolta that we knew the, the grown the, the one we grew up the one I grew up with in the 70s yeah, yeah. The, the kind of slick handsome terrifyingly poised physically yeah. interesting person yeah but going to seed and on heroin with a weird haircut exactly it's like an alternate reality exactly. where it didn't happen for him exactly and that's those are just the ones in the first five minutes yeah. I mean the the, the uh, we still we barely touched on we didn't even mention Ving Rhames, Ving Rhames yeah. um, but the the as as a completely different gangster of color yeah who's almost recognizable I mean there's you know this is a couple of years after no, Boys in the Hood he's, he's, the, he's the boss though but he is yeah and he's cool and calm and terrifying you know, terrifying with his stillness and his quiet and you're so used to just seeing black guys go you motherfucker I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that and actually he was just like chill the fuck out. Yeah, go back inside, and you're just like, wow, 
you know, and the plaster on the back of the neck yeah. is like, iconic. Like Which it apparently was, was just there. The story there. goes that he wrote it into it. The, the, the whole, the other thing about Pulp Fiction, of course, is that there's, you, because we never see what's in the box, yeah. what's in the briefcase, uh, which Sam Jackson said was just two lights and a battery. Yeah. Uh, there are endless theories about what it is. Yeah. And one of the big ones is that it's Marcellus's soul because supposedly the devil can take your soul through the back of your neck, which is what the Band-Aid represents. Right, right. None of that is in the text. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's just something... Like, Graham's had a Band-Aid on and said, should I take it off? And turned he's like, nah, it looks cool. Yeah, exactly, and exactly. it became a thing. It became a thing. And yeah. exactly, people start going, it's the soul, and it's this, that, and the other. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. I love I love that films take on a life of their own afterwards in terms of people doing that. But yeah, Ving Rhames, you know, mm. doing that thing again, you know, it was the boss. It was it was something not to aspire to, but to go, wow, I didn't know we could I didn't know we could do that. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I didn't know I didn't know we were allowed, as it were. Yeah, I mean you know? the the equivalent in the US at the time was stuff like New Jack City. Yeah. Where it's it's not Ju- uh, juice. Juice, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That would have been '91. Uh, poetic Justice, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Films that sort of played up South Central Los Angeles yeah. and, and your conventional drug yeah. dealing crime stuff, yeah. which you know, The Wire twenty years later would come along, or yeah. ten years later would come along and undercut and, and deconstruct that. Yeah. yeah. But the, I think the, the universe that Tarantino is playing with is entirely cinematic. Mm. So he's offering a window that hadn't existed before. Yeah. And creating this kind of weird uh, power culture where people can do anything and be anybody as long as they're cool yes that's his thing yeah yeah and I mean they were they were all cool yeah that was the thing they were all cool you know um and just you know again having the Bruce Willis character have Butch having the French uh, the French girlfriend mm, Maria de Medeiros yeah her. it was like I wasn't seeing this stuff at the time you know we weren't we wasn't seeing a lot of this stuff and it just yeah I mean it just opened it just opened my mind yeah, it feels yeah. like an art house lift, kind of in a way. They're just sort of pulling stuff. He's pulling stuff from even Godard and, and Truffaut, where characters are fascinated by Americans and yes, attracted yes. to them that way. Yeah, but it has its own weird life. Yeah, as soon as like as soon as they show up in the movie, even Christopher Walken's bizarre monologue. Yeah, there's Uncle piece of metal up my ass. Yeah, for five years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and his delivery. Like there, there are directors who can. Dictate performance, and yeah. then if you cast Christopher Walken, he gives you what he wants. And to he's give brave, you. you know. Tarantino's brave in Pulp Fiction. Uh, actually, whether it was bravery or inexperience, but like he doesn't move the camera a lot. No, that single take too with yeah with, uh, with Walken. He doesn't move the camera a hell of a lot, and I think now that would be considered a brave choice. Maybe it was inexperience. I don't know, but it definitely gives it a style that you know that I like. You know, yeah. well, there's more predatory kind of action in Reservoir Dogs just to keep the suspense going because mm. it's a single location and he has to move it a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of whip pins. Yeah, yeah. So this is good for the edit. Yeah, it feels like a deliberate choice yeah, yeah. in Pulp Fiction to be locked down and static, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. You know, really interesting. And then it pays off with stuff, you know, things like the shot through the windshield when yeah. uh, when when Butch comes up and sees Marcellus crossing the road. Yes, yeah. You've got that amazing long yeah. play out in widescreen of, yeah. of the reactions happening yeah. in the moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, and then that takes us somewhere else that the movie had had not gone to before. You've already had impalements and drug overdoses yeah. and all of this and then, oh yeah, right, southern uh, gimp raping. Gimp raping, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rapists, I suppose. The one thing I remember mostly about this scene or the end of that scene, um, no, the beginning of that scene, for some reason, is the fact that we hadn't really seen it before was innocent bystander getting shot, that lady in the white shorts. Yeah. 
a lady in a white shorts takes a shot in the leg and that's stuck with me, always stuck. I can see her black long hair now, like it's always stuck with me and it was something I just found interesting because up until that point it was cool, everything was cool. Yeah. And then you start to realise, oh my God, these guys are still yeah, yeah. Gangsters, and suddenly a member of the public just minding their own business has been shot in the leg. Yeah, collateral damage. And collateral damage, and it was weird because he didn't need to, you know, it's an extra, an essay. He didn't need to put it in, and, you know, maybe I'm doing the classic thing that I say, but I read more into it. I read more like it was almost a reminder of, like, this isn't as cool as you... Yeah, oh, I agree. I absolutely you know? think that's intentional. I mean, yeah. he does it in, in Reservoir Dogs, yeah. too, when Mr. Orange shoots the woman to get her car. Mm. She shoots him first, Yeah, but he shoots but, her. Yeah, exactly. And Exactly. So I'm just like, you know, that woman goes down, and then you, you have, uh, yeah, Zed. Yeah. Zed and um, whatever. I don't know what the other guy was called, but... Yeah. yeah, that was a bit freaky, that part, but... Yeah, and that's Peter Green, too, who is just one of the creepier actors uh, at the time he was in a film called Clean Shaven that Lodge Kerrigan made that right, you, know, I you see him in that and you just spend the rest of his career watching him going oh okay yeah I can't, <laughs> right. I can't totally trust him yeah, he's I don't playing trust it you, he may man. be playing a man with a dog but he's got a gun somewhere yeah yeah and he shows up in this and it's it's. I have this rule uh, the Peter Mullen effect yeah which is Peter, Peter Mullen, Mullen shows up in a film things are only going to get worse for people yeah 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 and yeah. again he's a lovely man I've That's met him great. We've, t- we've, we've talked but I've never talked to him about this thing yeah. but but even in, you know, like in children, it might, men, if you mention it to him, it might get worse for you. I'm curious. Yeah. I, well, I've already met him, though, so nothing can save him. Yeah. But you know, in children of men, he's in like a hundred minutes into this incredible dystopian, angry, yeah. awful picture. Yeah. He shows up. More people die. More it's people just how die. It works. Yeah. But he, but Peter Green has that power in this film, in yeah. Pulp Fiction. When you see him, and you're just like, oh shit. Well, whatever's happening, it's, yeah. it's gonna get. It's worse. gonna get worse. Yeah. I think it sure does, man. Yeah. Interesting, but then it becomes a film. But that's I think that's where the movie starts tilting towards redemption. Yeah, and what Tarantino's genius is, despite everything else that's geniusy about the film, his recontextualization of the metaphors and and the, the tropes of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, he does it in Reservoir Dogs too. He shows you what happens when bad people have a choice to be good. Yes, or even when good people have a choice to do bad, yeah. which is Butch's problem. Yeah, it's where it gets really complex. This situation, everything in Butch's life gets easier if he just lets things happen. Yeah. And he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And everything in Jules' life would be easier if he lets things happen. Yeah. Uh, And he doesn't. And the idea that the film builds emotional momentum in in the midst of this tornado of violence and retribution, I was so thrilled to watch this thing start asking these questions in the middle of all of this. Because you're given... What a good hundred minutes, hundred and ten minutes of just pure pleasure, violence and silliness and, yeah. and all of it, and then suddenly it's like, oh yeah, but what if it matters? Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. You're right. You know, he just butchers character. You're right because he just doesn't let things lie. He could just leave the damn thing. He could just, you know. Yeah, and that's what's so great about Bruce Willis is he's actually pissed at himself in that moment for making that con- for yeah. making that choice. Like, oh, yeah, he has to go back and but say, he kno- day. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your films are aware of this too. I mean, you create worlds where people are given choices constantly, and they're a product of their yes. environments, but they can choose to leave. They can, yeah. They can try. They can try to leave. You know, again, you know, Brotherhood. You know, the the, the latest one is the same thing. You know, I was talking about it earlier. You know, when you know, if 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 I'm Sam, if not, if I, it's Noel that gets that postcard and says, "Come to the address," I'm not going. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going. There's nothing that makes me go. I'm like calling the police, and I'm 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 trying to live as. It, it, good a life as I can because it's been 10 years since I've been in that sort of trouble but Sam just can't let it go yeah he cannot he cannot let it go he's like alright 
I need to go. I need to go and see what this is. You know, who walks into a house like that? But Sam does because that's like that character was defined from the the very first film when he was very reactive and like they did something. Like, well, I'm coming to get you. You know, and that it was like you know going through the change in adulthood and even the beginning of this film. But you're still who you are. Yeah. When it starts to come, it starts to bubble up under the surface. You're still who you are. You know, and it, it, you're right. You're completely right. You know, uh, you know, attributing the same sort of characteristics to to the my films and this things is like that character just can't let it go. Yeah, I you think know? the scariest thing in fiction is to be confronted with the fact that we are who we are, mm. and we always will be. Yes. Yeah. The product of our environment, but yeah. also we we assume you know everybody learns to be an adult by mimicking you just yeah. assume the role you do the thing you think will do it's that great Noah Baumbach line from Kicking and Screaming uh, affectations become habits yeah. you just you are this person eventually yes but yeah. to be confronted with a choice like that I mean we almost never get that that's what no. makes movies so that's what makes movies so fantasize. Yeah. exactly exactly and it's uh, yeah that is really interesting because yeah. again you know sometimes you know it takes sitting down with someone like yourself for me to go oh yeah actually you know, even within my work, like I hadn't thought of that. And then when you say it's, you know, these things happen, I go, yeah, well, maybe that is subconsciously that was that, you know. But again, I think that uh, much like myself and my earlier work, I think you know it's easy to look at it after and 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 put reasons in. Sure. Whereas actually, we as filmmakers sometimes sometimes just do them, or we think we just do them. Right. Because like you said, our subconscious is informing us. The way we were raised is informing us. But we sometimes forget that and we just go, well, I just did that. I just did that. Yeah. Well, you're following an intuition, which yeah. is shaped by who shaped you are. Shaped by who you are, yeah. And what you perceive around you and what you have to work yeah. with, too. Yeah. So, you know, again, Tarantino reaching for bigger things now, trying to make uh, yeah. the Italian the spaghetti western yeah. Django films and turn them into a story about a slave named Django who yeah. is bought and freed and rebels. Yeah. Maybe overreaching, but it's what he's working with. Like, it's yeah. what he knows and yeah. what he wants to do. Yeah. And I think it happens in The Hateful Eight, it happens in Glorious Bastards. He wants to make the kind of movies he grew up seeing, but he can't help but filter them into something bigger and more important. Yeah, that, that that's he, what he wants that's, to do. That's what he wants to do, yeah, yeah. exactly. So there is no small like he, turn He's in like trying to correct social injustice within his movies you right. know, in, in glorious 1960s and, yeah. And, yeah sure oh god like he wins World War II yeah or kills know? Hitler yeah, exactly changes, changes, changes time yeah, yeah. Right. you kind of like <clears throat> you kind of like well that didn't happen yeah. but you're just kind of into it but you know it the, it just eats away at you because you know that the real story was so much horrible much worse and, and horrible yeah. you know and I say the same with Django you know you kind of like you're watching you know somewhere Quentin's going you know that's an injustice what happened to those people was an injustice I'm going to do this film right. and you know the interesting thing is is like whether he thinks it's okay that he does it yeah. or if he just feels he's creating, correcting a social injustice the way he wants to do you yeah. know I, I'm fascinated by his sense of it's because it's not entitlement I don't think I think he legitimately believes he has something to say and wants to say it not that he deserves to say it and yeah. then he gets distracted by what could be cool yeah like by what could be awesomer yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah. in Glorious Bastards that's well you kill Hitler that's yeah, what you yeah, do exactly uh, or, or in yeah, you know, USA you yeah, USA yeah, he yeah, can't yeah, help yeah. himself yeah but that conflict is really interesting yeah. to me not necessarily in the moment of watching the three hours of The Hateful Eight but coming out of it and thinking yeah. oh well yeah he kind of did do Reservoir Dogs and yeah, the thing I mean, and it, it, it kind of did upset me when he got all the flack he got for Django you know got you know from black filmmakers because you know I feel like his heart was pure mm. I feel like he thought he was like social injustice this happened it was a you know 
the worst thing that's happened in American history. I'm going to write this film and I'm going to make it right how I wish it was. And yeah. a lot of people are like, hold on. <laughs> you ain't got the right to be doing this shit, man. And you ain't got the right to be using that word and saying this and that. And I think it's, I felt bad for him because I feel like he, he meant well. Yeah. We had a, we, that was the last time we actually talked, yeah. the last interview with him that I did. And it's a really weird conversation yeah. because he, he stops thinking about it at, I'm an artist, I should be able to comment on things in my art. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. But, just because you can do something, yeah. right? That's the whole... Yeah, the just Jurassic, because you to, can. To quote, I think it's... Is it Sam Jackson who says it? No, it's Jeff Goldblum, but Sam Jackson's right. in Jurassic Park. Like, just because you were so obsessed yeah. with the idea of whether you could do it. You didn't doesn't mean, think to with, with you should. Yeah. Yes. So we Great end up line. With, Great yeah, line. Yeah, it is. And yeah. one that you can use in almost any situation. Yeah, yeah. And so we end up in this weird place where, yeah, you made this movie, and it's about the thing you wanted it to be about, yeah. but it's not what you think it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I kind of long for stuff like Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction Pulp where Fiction. all the discussions are enclosed they're in a bubble it's yeah. not real yeah he's not trying to create you know correct like you know because the next thing he'll do is like uh, you know stop the stop the, the 9-11 attacks or something <laughs> like that do you know what I mean yeah it's I was like, going to say global warming yeah global he'll make warming. a movie about global warming next you know and like we would all love to go back to that time and stop that from happening we all would but it's like you know you can't just make a film and pretend it didn't happen you know, it's uh, you, you really need to think about these things. But I feel like, you know, like I've only met him once. We had a great chat. You know, he doesn't have a clue who the hell I am. I met him at a thing and we just spoke and we had a great, like, good 30, 40 minute talk when he was just talking to me, but didn't know I was a film. I tell you, I'm a filmmaker. Are you sure he's seen Dr. No, no. Oh, maybe. Quentin Tarantino seems like the kind of guy who'd watch Maybe. Him. Yeah. Maybe. I'm trying to remember if I met him before I was in that, though. I don't, re- I don't recall. Mm. Maybe, sure. But, um, but you know, it's uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where you, you you just kind of have to try and always be just make your art, but be aware. You have to kind of be aware. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You yeah. Know? Um, um, but that's why, like, I love Pulp Fiction because you know he uh, he wasn't trying to correct. It was just this is what it is. Yeah. You know, it comes back to that thing we were talking about, where if the movie knows it's cool, if the movie knows it's okay to be commenting on it yeah. even if the characters don't yeah. I'm getting the sense that with Tarantino like he's the character who doesn't know he's not supposed to be doing yeah, it quite yeah, this yeah, way yeah exactly yeah you're right you're right yeah so that puts us in an interesting place with his ne- I, mean, I don't even know what the next one is but I'll still go I want to see it 100% i for it so we more or less covered the final question on the show which is what of the what of Pulp Fiction have you borrowed or stolen or incorporated into your own DNA but is there anything else that we didn't touch on um no, I think, like I said, I've just, you know, I've inherited some of his passion for dialogue that doesn't move the story forward, <laughs> you know, I've... Uh, uh, Are you your know, running times creeping up? Are we looking at two and a half hours these days? Man, and this one is, uh, was, was, was there in the uh, first cut, um, and, and, you know, I think I've, I've really learned and, and taken the fact that, you know, you can be good people that do bad things and bad people that do good things and that life is a lot more complex than than, than we think mm. you know and Tarantino did that stuff so well he had you know the most vile characters but you like them because you start to learn about what they eat for breakfast and you start to learn about their lives and that you know people are products of their environment and I think that you know my films kind of do that as well um, and hopefully I've stolen a bit of Tarantino's talent and one day <laughs> one day I'll, I'll, I'll have something that hits on the world stage well, I've really enjoyed watching you develop as a filmmaker that Thank sounds you. incredibly condescending no man but, I, think it's know, it's the, been, I think it's the truth man it's been what five six features I've done uh, well I've written like eight but I've directed four 
Only four? Yeah, only four, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've directed four. Because I, I kind of, I didn't direct Kid Hood. I was there every day, but I didn't direct That's it. Right. Yeah, but I was, I didn't direct it, but I was on set in the next to the director, you know, which gave me the sort of rub to do adulthood and stuff. But and what is that like? What's that experience like, having created a thing and being in it, but not fully it was you know, in at control the, of it? At the time, it was fine, because I was an actor who wanted to write and wrote one script, and people wanted to make it and it was getting made and I remember the director saying listen I want you there every day next to me because you're from this area and you're kind of about that life and so I was there every day learning and learning you know but it was fine I, you know and but I think that's put me in good stead because now I can still write things and give them to other directors yeah. and let them put their spin on it and not be like whoa 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 hold on a yeah. second you know I, I can do that and I think that that kind of helped with that you know yeah. Well, it always amazes me when I remember that Tarantino started as an actor. Mm. And even before Reservoir Dogs, he did rewrites for a couple of films. There's a movie called Past Midnight with Rutger Hauer, right. and I want to say Jennifer Jason Lee, where there are clearly three or four scenes that he rewrote from beginning to end. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, people are talking about detergent and products yeah, yeah, and yeah. coffee machines. Yeah. And your ear just rings to it. Yeah. And then he gets to do his own thing, and it's utterly different yeah. from that because yeah. you can see the, the like the sort of the conventional world fighting against that script yeah, yeah. and then once he gets behind it and takes care of it it's Reservoir Dogs it's, it's yeah. perfect yeah. it's what it wants to be mm. that's interesting did you find when you were switching from writer-actor to actor-writer-director was there a similar transition did you feel like you had better control or um were you just too busy putting it together to yeah, think about it? Yeah, again, I, I guess you did... Yeah, the second one, you kind of, like... You do feel you have better control once you're in it, but again, you know, it was just... It was just it was just that... That, that Joker line again. Yeah. I just do things. Yeah. You know, there was no sort of... I had a shot list and I prepped, but, you know, not to the level I prep now. It was just about doing stuff. I think the best thing to say, the best way to kind of explain it was when I made Adulthood... I was a guy that made films. Right. When I made Brotherhood, I was a filmmaker. And the progression is evident. You watch the films back to back, you'll be like, you won't almost, you almost won't believe what a mess, not script-wise, script-wise, story-wise is fine, but like technically and visually, you almost won't remember what a mess. People comment, oh, it's so raw. The rawness is brilliant. And it is, because at the time, I was a guy who didn't know what he's doing. Right. But as I, my point is, you almost won't realize the mess that adulthood is technically until you watch it next to Brotherhood, and then you go, "Fuck, that was actually <laughs> that was actually a bit of a mess." Yeah. Because the story's so good, you know, and the 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 kind of it works as it a through line. Along, it carries it along, yeah. But when you watch it technically next to the other one, it's just kind of a little bit of a mess, you know? Yeah. See, here I thought you were doing that intentionally yeah. because the films are maturing big yeah. based on the arc of the, of yeah. the story. No, no, it's just like, <laughs> no, what shall I do? Oh, let's put a montage here and do it like this. Let's put another one like that, you know? It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's all about the, the learning and... You know? No, you're being too honest. You have to tell people it was intentional. This is the thing we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. It was intentional, guys. This artistic <laughs> yeah. intent is always there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny. Yeah. My thanks to Noel Clark, whose new movie Brotherhood is in the UK theaters right now and coming to North America in the new year. You can follow Noel on Twitter at Noel Clark, all one word, Clark with an E. And you can find Pulp Fiction on DVD and Blu-ray from Lionsgate Home Entertainment in the U.S. and Entertainment One in Canada. It's also available for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play and streaming on Netflix pretty much everywhere you look. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at SemCast. 
S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review up on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is Fox Force 5. Thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.